Hello, my name is Will, and you're listening to Exploding Helicopter, the only podcast in the world celebrating helicopter explosions in film. Now, in 1988, the film Die Hard introduced us to quick, quipping cop John McClane. Considered one of the greatest action movies of all time, it was followed by two successful sequels. But after 1995's Die Hard with a Vengeance, it seemed Bruce Willis had hung up his badge and vest for good. But after an absence of 12 years, everyone's favourite maverick cop finally returned to the big screen to once again play by his own rules. So on this show, we're looking at Die Hard 4.0. To help me discuss the film, I'm joined by just another American who saw too many movies as a child. He's an orphan of a bankrupt culture who thinks he's John Wayne. So my guest today is Daniel from Get Real Movies. How you doing, Daniel? Good. I'm a little offended, though, because first of all, I was born in England and now I live in Canada. So you've been wrong twice there. (laughs) Well, this show is not known for its accuracy or attention to detail. (laughs) So, you know, it wouldn't be the show if I didn't insult my guests at the uh, at the outset. So uh, it's it's this is really you're just getting the full exploding helicopter experience. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad. So I understand you've just got back from the uh, Toronto International Film Festival. What was that like? I did. It was pretty nuts. Uh, it's 10 days of movies. I think there's over 350 movies playing at the festival. I think I saw around 42. Wow. <laughs> Not as many as I would have liked, but I saw a lot of great movies, uh, some that don't come out until next year, some that are highly anticipated for a lot of people. But yeah, it was a great festival, and uh, Saturday night, I went to the closing night party, and uh, I did shots with Woody Harrelson, so yeah, it was a pretty good week for me. Wow. Now, Woody Harrison, I mean, he drinks booze, but I mean, I've read some other stuff about him. He, he just eats like raw vegetables. He's like some kind of health nut. And he's big on hemp as well, isn't he? Did you uh, go outside for a bifter as well? No, I did not. But uh, yeah, he's big on that whole anti-GMO thing. That's why my mom loves him, because she's like, yeah, you know, healthy food. But he's an interesting character. Well, he he was uh, in the closing night uh, that his movie was playing at the closing night uh, of the festival. And he's he's just a fun loving guy. Like he showed up to his premiere in sweatpants and a T-shirt and a suit jacket (laughs) and trainers. So the guy is just... I think he's loving life. Like, I think he's probably one of the most chill actors you'll meet, uh, probably. So So you say you were doing shots with Woody Harrison. I- I'm picturing, like, that scene out of Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I- I'm not sure, because I-, I asked for whiskey, but I didn't see what he was drinking. So he could have been drinking water, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it was an open bar and a free booze, so I probably had a bit too much to drink. So I got back at 3 in the morning to uh, school, and I slept until 11. But luckily, no hangover, so uh, that was uh, that was my European spirit, you know? Maybe you were drinking the water and not the whiskey. Who knows? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I know what I was drinking. <laughs> okay. Well, on this show, we're going to be talking about Die Hard, and I guess I wanted to find out if you were a cop. What kind of cop would you be? Would you be one of these maverick cops on the edge like John McClane? Or would you be a more straight down the line kind of by the book lawman like uh, Joe Friday and Dragnet? Well, um, I would probably not be uh, a straight cop. <laughs> I'm not sure what type of cop I would be, but I, I probably wouldn't follow the rules that well. Yeah, I think I would probably be a little more maverick. Maybe not as crazy as John McClane. I'd probably be more like maybe like Axel Foley and Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> That's a good choice. That's a strong choice. I like it. Thank you. Now, as anyone listening to this show knows, I've chosen to dedicate my life to celebrating helicopter explosions in film. But Daniel, what do you think about exploding helicopters in movies? 
No, honestly, before I started listening to your podcast, I never really thought about them except, you know, holy crap, that's awesome, you know, when a, when it's a great one. But I, I never thought about them as being in so many films. And I heard you on the True Bromance Film Podcast, and I uh, started listening to your show. And I was like, wow, there are a lot of movies that have exploding helicopters. And I did a little research on myself, and there's so many movies. Like, there's like an unlimited list of movies. So I'm just wondering, like, you're going to be doing this until you're like 60 or something. I did rashly, when I first started doing this, did think there would come a point where I'd break the back of this, where I'd get on top of it and I'd be, right, I'm on the downward slope now, the end's in sight. But the longer I've been doing it, the more I've realized there's just too many out there I, you know I, I do sometimes like wake up you know 3 a.m in the morning and like wonder what you know should I have started this task what am I doing with my life but you know <laughs> there's no one else out there doing this so I feel like I've started and until someone else comes and takes up the baton it's down to me to uh, carry the load for everyone else now before we get started on Die Hard 4 I always like to get my guests in the group by asking them about something interesting they've seen lately so uh, yeah I wondered what you wanted to mention Daniel well, obviously, we were talking about TIFF a little earlier, and I thought, you know, uh, might as well mention a movie that I saw there. I saw a lot of them, but uh, one that I was pretty excited about was Nocturnal Animals, which is the Tom Ford movie, and it was phenomenal. It was like this artsy thriller movie that was just so well done. The first 10 minutes, you're like, what the hell is going on? And you're like, this is too artsy for me. But then once you get into it, it's this gripping thriller that has amazing action, amazing acting amazing writing amazing cinematography and it's probably one of my favorite movies of the year and it comes out uh november time but yeah like i, I just want to talk about that because uh it's been on my mind for the last week since i saw it last monday it's been getting some really good buzz so uh it's kind of interesting to hear your take on it that actually that the hype does live up to uh the movie yeah, because I was so hyped up for this movie because I read amazing reviews coming out of Venice. Some of my uh, blogger friends who had seen it already at Venice were telling me all about it and they were like saying how good it was. And, you know, I was really hyped for this movie and it lived up to it in every way. Like the first 10 minutes, you're like, what the hell is going on? But then you've learned more and more as the characters learn more and more. And, you know, there's not a lot of movies for me that live up to the huge hype, but this movie completely 100% did and the ending is deeply frustrating but deeply deeply amazing I, i've said amazing like six times but i feel like that's <laughs> one of the only words you can use to describe this movie it's just kind of it blows your mind on the power of filmmaking and you know sometimes movies don't need uh helicopter explosions to be friggin awesome i will concede that point grudgingly but i will concede <laughs> that point <laughs> Right, I think it's time to get stuck into Die Hard 4, so let's listen to a really quite underwhelming snippet from the film's trailer. Officer McLean, I need you to behave. Daddy. What are you going to do? I'm going to go kill this guy and get my daughter. I'll go get my daughter and kill this guy. Or kill all of them. Die Hard 4.0, or Live Free and Die Hard as it's sometimes known, came out in 2007. The plot sees John McClane and a young hacker join forces to take down a cyber terrorist who is threatening the security of the United States. The film, of course, stars Bruce Willis as New York cop John McClane, 
Timothy Oliphant, perhaps best known for his role in the TV series Justified Plays the Villain, while Maggie Q plays his silky-voiced hench lady. The film was directed by Len Wiseman, who is best known for the Underworld series and, frankly, little else. So, Daniel, uh, what did you make of Die Hard 4? I think this movie was, it was a welcome return. Die Hard was the ultimate action movie from the 80s. It was like everything that the 80s era kind of entailed. I felt like ever since then, we didn't really get that diehard feeling. And this movie was, I think, closer than the other two for me. And, you know, a lot closer than the fifth one. But, you know, it's it still doesn't live up to the original. And I don't think any movie really ever will. But this movie had some good action. It was really interesting how it talked about the whole post 9-11 cyber terrorism thing. I recently saw Snowden, so when I saw that, I felt like that kind of complemented the whole craziness of Die Hard 4.0. I felt like that kind of goes together with it well, because a lot of people are scared about it, and a lot of people say that World War III will be caused by computer hacking rather than guns. So it was definitely an interesting social commentary on the time, if you can say that about a Die Hard movie. But the action was fun. It was great to see John McClane back. You know, he's older. He's not that much wiser. And the villain, you know, no one's ever going to live up to Hans Gruber. He's probably one of the greatest movie villains of all time. But I really like Timothy Oliphant. I uh, like him in Justified. I've liked him in most of the things I've seen him in. And he was a decent villain. Like, he, he was memorable. Like, I still can talk about him and remember quite a bit of the crazy shit he did. So I liked it. Well, it's really interesting to hear your take on it, because quite a lot of diehard fans who are pretty down on this movie. I'm not one of them. I think this is actually a pretty good movie i really enjoy the action in it i do think though there are some elements in here which they don't really feel like they belong in a, in a diehard movie and they feel like they perhaps more belong in a, in a james bond movie but uh, we'll perhaps sort of get into that in a little while but uh, let's yeah. dig into the plot first and this is very much sort of diehard meets the internet age as as you've already mentioned so we have john mcclain taking on this master cyber criminal who's bringing chaos to the entire uh, United States. What did you think of the plot? I actually found the plot the most believable of all the diehards, like maybe besides the, the first one. In action movies, you have to kind of take these plots with a grain of salt because, you know, a lot of it is unbelievable. And, oh, yeah. um, and that's what you kind of have to do. But it kind of um, really goes in with the times and the whole social commentary that was going on at times, such as surveillance, such as, you know, everything beyond the Internet. And, you know, obviously there's parts of it where you're like, if American gets shut down this easily, I'm worried. I'm intrigued by what you say about the believability of this plot, because... I have completely the opposite opinion. I, for me, this feels like the plot is really too big for a diehard movie. It feels like it would belong better in a James Bond movie. Obviously, in the first film, it was set just in a, in a skyscraper. In Die Hard 2, it's just in an airport. Die Hard 3, it's across New York. And whereas here in, in number four, it starts in New York. Then we're like in like Washington. We're, only, we're in these different locations. And not just the, the geography of it, also the kind of the scale and ambition of the, the villain here has just got so big that it felt to me like it didn't really belong in the Die Hard universe. I feel like, you know, this series should have stopped with number one. I felt like, yes, he's such a great character, but 
that would have been kind of the amazing thing they could have done is just kept one movie and I would have been perfectly content. I was one of those people who was not overly happy about the sequel or the threequel or the fourquel or definitely the fivequel. So, <laughs> um, but I just, I didn't mind this. I thought it was kind of a welcome change, how it kind of changed up what our whole thinking was of Die Hard. And yes, it was a little more like Bond, but... I, I did like it, but I, I can totally understand why some Die Hard fans would not dig it. Maybe I'm having a very personal reaction to this, because Die Hard 4 falls foul of kind of personal bugbear of mine, which is I've got a real issue with techno thrillers. They all fall foul of the same tropes, whereby you just have lots of scenes of people tapping away on keyboards, and then when somebody then needs to, to do something, it's just by magic. They tap on a keyboard and then suddenly some seemingly impossible task can be achieved and it just feels like uh, a massive uh, movie cheat and i feel like the internet is almost killing movies i see what you're saying like i really do maybe we're i think we're from different generations you know you're old and i'm not so uh <laughs> thanks <laughs> hey i had to get back at you for that thing earlier man um <laughs> no but uh, i disagree i think that the internet is yes okay some movies it does ruin like you know there's movies like swordfish that were just bloody awful um <laughs> and they were hacker movies but Die Hard 4 yes sometimes it took away from the action but i you know i feel like it's that's how hacking is sometimes that like with a push of a button obviously there's so much preparation that goes on behind but would you really want to see a movie that just shows people doing that i wouldn't so i i disagree well talking of things we may or may not have enjoyed in this movie what did you make of justin long's character as uh, bruce willis's sidekick in this movie oh goodness um I've purposely been uh, avoiding that topic uh, just because <laughs> I've been, you know, trying to be the positive person. But I'm not that big a fan of Justin Long. I think the only movie I've ever liked him in was probably Accepted. And he was the main character, but it was more people in it. And Jonah Hill was there. So that probably helped. But yeah, I, I don't know what he was doing there. I feel like anyone could have been in his role. The kind of chemistry between the two was a little wooden like bruce willis is wooden enough already guys like you got to get someone <laughs> charismatic to be with him and you know that's what they did with hans gruber even though they might not have been buddies they you know their rapport was amazing in that movie and justin long is just not that good of an actor to do that sorry justin but it's it's true. I agree with you that the chemistry between them is, is completely leaden. It you know it, it, they have zero chemistry, and it's it, you know the and the the film gives them a lot of time together. I mean, there's a really painful scene where they're trying to start a car, and uh, Justin Long. It's I guess it's meant to be like a little comedic moment for Justin Long, but it's a gruesome, gruesome watch, and it just feels like it goes on forever. Yeah, I was like, uh, what's happening? Why Why is he crying that his dad's dying? And why is Bruce Willis just looking at him doing nothing with his face? And th that scene is also totally inconsequential in terms of the plot. They could have easily, Bruce Willis could easily, or Justin Long, I don't care which one of them, they could have just hot-wired that car. Oof. That was the, if, if the movie hadn't picked up after that, I feel like everyone would have been like, this movie is so f but what I find really odd, though, is after Die Hard with a Vengeance, the Die Hard franchise has become essentially like a buddy cop 
franchise because obviously you had Samuel Jackson in Die with a Vengeance, you have Justin Long in here, and then you have Lord Helpers Jai Courtney in A Good Day to Die Hard. Um, I thought you might say that. Yeah, I just I just find it weird. You know, everyone was happy when you just had John McClane doing his own thing in the first two films. I don't know why everyone thinks he has to have some kind of sidekick in these movies now. Well, I guess they just don't think Bruce Willis is a good enough actor now to uh, do it by himself. Uh, well, especially now, they would be within their rights because, I mean, Bruce Willis just seems to be sort of happy to pick up the paychecks. I mean, I can't remember the last time he gave a really engaged performance. Yeah, a really engaged performance in any kind of movie. So Agreed. Now, I know, like me, you've watched all of the films in the Die Hard series. So, you know, we've come to know the John McClane character over the course of the of the first three films anyway, in terms of if we're thinking about them uh, or thinking about them logically or how we would have arrived at this point. But in this movie, it seems as if John McClane had had a bit of a personality change, or at least it seemed that way for me. I don't know if that was something that you detected as well. Well, yeah. And like there was a weird scene at the start with his daughter. And it kind of felt a little out of place. Like, I feel like they should have just started with him, you know, going straight to Justin Long's place. But, um, yeah, he he kind of seems like he just doesn't care about anything ev- anymore, even though he does. <laughs> well, the thing about that scene that really puzzled me was what was John McClane doing there? Why is he spying on his daughter? Because she's going to be in her early 20s. It's not like she's... 14 and and he needs to keep an eye on her because you know she's about to be abused or you know get into some situation that is way overhead she's a she's a sort of grown woman by this stage why is he doing stalking her like this it's bizarre yeah maybe he had some weird fixation with uh mary elizabeth winstead you know uh lannister style Well, that, I, I tell you, we could really take the Die Hard series in some interesting new, like, directions where he gets <laughs> obsessed by his children, starts stalking them. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, finally lost it, like the actor who plays him. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, the personality changes that I, I found a bit puzzling in this movie was they've basically turned him into a complete Luddite for no sort of discernible reason. I mean, I guess it works within the context of the film, but we've never seen that side of his character before. So, you know, he's he's completely bamboozled by the idea of GPS systems, by the internet. You know, he's suddenly a classic rock fan just because it kind of plays into this notion of him being out of time and then buddied up with this uh, irritating kind of cyber sidekick. But it just felt like they had manipulated his character in order to to fit in with the plot of the movie and create a a kind of rather irritating dynamic with uh, Justin Long's character. I feel like we never see his character more than like a day in the movies. Uh, You know, at Nagatomi Tower, we only see him, you know, that one night. So, you know, there's a lot more to the character of John McClane than we've seen in the previous three movies, I think. And so, you know, obviously he could have been a classic rock fan. Obviously, they probably just use that to go along with the times well. And so I, I agree with you on that. But that that didn't really bother me because there's so much we don't know about the character himself because we only see him for short periods of time. What about that scene when he is at Warlock's bunker and... I found Bruce Willis was rather unnecessarily insulting towards uh, Kevin Smith's character in that scene. And again, that's something that just struck a bit of a false note with me. I feel that's down to the writing, not to Bruce Willis, but I don't know. I I guess 
like, you know, he might have gotten cynical over all these years. I mean, he's gone through a lot of crap in his life. So, like, I feel like, yeah, it, that that was probably more believable than the whole classic rock thing, that he would be a little cynical towards people who he's never met before and are, you know, pretty much international criminals, even though they're, you know, helping the good guys for once. Well, let's talk about the action we get in this movie. Uh, did you like it? Did you think it was good? And uh, do you think it was right in a Die Hard movie? There was not enough of it. Uh, when it was on, it was good. I really liked that whole uh, scene where he's fighting Maggie Q and they're in the car that's about to fall down the elevator shaft. That's a great scene. It's a little crazy. He can never die. I don't think he'll ever die. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that that was probably the standout scene for me. Well, I thought the uh, scenes with Maggie Q were really good. And actually, I enjoyed the sequence with uh, in the, the lift shaft with the car. I thought that was a very well-constructed scene. But I actually enjoyed the fight scene in the, the office space before that because I thought that that felt like a real classic diehard type of fight where you've got John McClane. He's just supposedly this ordinary New York cop. So he's not going to be doing any kind of fancy kung fu or aikido moves he's just going to be throwing punches and smashing somebody's head into a floor or a wall if it's convenient and he's up against you know maggie q who's portrayed as somebody who's got who's really good at martial arts so it was a kind of good interesting contrast in styles and it felt like uh yeah it felt like a proper die hard if uh if that's a genre in itself it felt like a proper like die hard fight for me yeah, no, Maggie Q, that was definitely interesting, and especially when she was beating the crap out of him, and then he's like, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore, and just, like, pounds her into the ground. It's It was quite it was quite comical and felt very diehardian, if uh, that's a word. I'm interested by the idea that you wanted more action, because we've got scenes with uh, collapsing uh, motorways, there's the whole scene with the uh, fighter jet as well. There's a big shootout sequence at, right at the start of the movie as well, but you, you wanted more action on top of that? But I wanted more comical, like, diehard action, like the stuff that we saw in the first movie where he's, you know, he's crawling around in his white vest and he's fighting people in the most, you know, home alone type ways, you know, and kind of missed that. Like, you know, like, obviously it gets bigger with each movie and I understand that. And that was one of the things I liked about it in the way, but it was also its downfall for me because I missed that sort of, <laughs> I know this sounds quite funny, but sort of um, close call combat action, the personal action that really kind of uh, built the Die Hard franchise. Well, this is a really interesting point, and I, I want to take the chance to discuss it with you, which is why do these films feel like they need to make the action bigger with each movie? So like Die Hard, I completely agree with you. The action in that felt really real and it worked because it's up close and, and personal. And obviously the action then got bigger in film after film. The Taken franchise, you know, another example of how the first film is a really great, lean, taut thriller, strong motivation for Liam Neeson, up close and personal action. And then you have in the subsequent films, you know, ridiculous scenes with grenades going off to signal where people are in a, in a, in a city of like 20 million people. I mean, completely, uh, completely ludicrous like why can't they just do another film with up close and personal violence that people liked the first time round? i don't know honestly i think that it's just it's what the studios want and it's what they think the audiences want and they don't appease fans anymore they just look after the big audiences they don't care as much about you know the people who show up movie after movie they go for the general audience who want to see this movie and that's sad but it's something that we have to kind of learn to expect, you know? 
Now, there can be no hero without a villain, and the Die Hard series has given us some really great classic villains here. But what did you think of Timothy Oliphant? How do you think he stacks up against them? Uh, against all the Die Hard villains? Yeah, against them all. Let's throw them all in the mix. Okay, well, you, you might as well say that he's never going to be near number one. Oh, yeah. Because, you That's know, a given. it's just That's not a given. possible. So, and anyone who says that he is, is delusional and should be banned from ever discussing movies again. You will hear no argument from me. But, like I said before, I like Timothy Oliphant. I think he's a fantastic actor. He showed that in whatever seven seasons of Justified. And he, he knows how to act if he's given the right script. I don't think he was given enough to do. Uh, in this movie, especially in the first half of the movie, he wasn't given enough to do. Towards the end, you get to see more of him, and there's more of a personal revenge reason for it, so you get to understand his character a little more, which I liked. But I, I did like him as a villain. I think he'd probably be number three for me after uh, Hans Gruber and uh, Jeremy Irons is... What's his name? Uh... The other Gruber brother. I, I, I love Jeremy Irons, but I think he kind of, you know, goes as number three. So he's kind of just in the middle between uh, between all the other villains. Well, thanks, man. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be looking at a pretty cool exploding helicopter. All right, Kristen, I am so excited that you've decided to do a podcast with me. But what are we going to do a podcast about? There's so many other movie podcasts. we got to do something original. Well, you know, I'm a big fan of Disney movies. What about something like that? That's just kid stuff. What do we want to do that for? Did you know that The Avengers is a Disney movie? Or that Pulp Fiction is a Disney movie? Pulp Fiction is not a Disney movie. It's technically owned by Miramax, which is part of Disney. We are still going to talk about the Disney animated movies, though, right? I thought you said that was kid stuff. Well, you know, I've got two kids. i got to be a good dad and stuff. So be sure to subscribe to the Walt Sent Me podcast, where we discuss the various subsidiaries of the Walt Disney Studios, including the animated movies. It's available on iTunes, Podomatic, and wherever you find great podcasts. And I swear, it's not kid stuff. We're back, and now we're looking at the exploding helicopter action. This occurs relatively early in the film, while Willis is driving Justin Long's irritating comic sidekick to a police station. As they're on their way, they are pursued by some of Oliphant's goons who are on board a helicopter. Our heroes flee into a tunnel, but Oliphant uses his internet mastery to redirect traffic and cause life-threatening havoc in the tunnel. After several near-death experiences are riled, Willis climbs into an abandoned car and guns it towards the tunnel entrance where the helicopter is waiting to finish him off. As the car approaches the entrance, Willis jumps clear just before the car hits the road's central reservation, causing it to fly into the air and smash into the helicopter. A breathless Justin Long tells Willis, you've just killed a helicopter with a car, to which Willis replies, I was out of bullets. Daniel, what did you make of the exploding helicopter action? Well, there's many words that I'd like to use to describe it, but I don't think they'd be uh, suitable for, you know, young ears if they ever listen to this show. And this is a family show as well, so... Uh... Yes, uh, yes. So I'm going to just say that it was bloody fantastic. And one of the standout scenes of the movie, which I think is, I think is pretty fair because it was an exploding helicopter and it was beautiful. Absolutely no argument from me. I mean, this is why I got into the business of reviewing helicopter explosions in film, because this is a totally epic exploding helicopter. It's got pretty much everything you want in an exploding helicopter scene. So you've got 
logic defying uh, physics in operation as this uh, car inexplicably leaps up into the sky into this helicopter you've got a great juicy fireball you see the wreckage crashing down onto the ground which is surprisingly a shot many filmmakers uh, deprive us of so yeah it's uh, it's an absolutely uh, a fabulous scene yeah and this scene i just i wasn't expecting it either so early on in the movie because I, I i'd seen the trailer before and i was like okay yeah okay that looks awesome but uh I just didn't expect it this early on, so it was a really, really pleasant surprise. And when I saw John McClane jump out of the car, I was like, oh my god, here it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, and then it did it. And it was like, I think I was cheering in my room, clapping, and my mom came and <laughs> my mom came upstairs and was like, what's going on? Are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, just the helicopter exploded. And she's like, boys. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it's a spoiler? for the exploding helicopter enthusiast to see uh, an exploding helicopter in the trailer for a movie? Um, not really. I don't think so. I think it's it gets you excited for the movie, and I'm sure it was one of the big hits of the trailer that wanted wanted to make people come back and see John McClane again. But, you know, obviously, if, if I hadn't watched the trailer, I would have been even more surprised and more happy, but I still... It was still just thoroughly enjoyable so i wouldn't really worry about the whole spoiler aspect of it no okay well i think that just about wraps things up for this show uh, daniel thanks for uh, joining me do you want to take a moment to uh, plug your own uh, podcast yeah yeah thank you um i i really appreciate uh you having on my sh you having me on your show um you came on uh i think it was uh, six or seven months ago to talk about the uh, atrocity that was batman versus superman <laughs> um so yeah people who have uh, not heard that episode definitely go listen to that because uh, we touch on some pretty weird things in that episode and uh it was it was a really great time and uh it was more entertaining talking about that film than it was watching it Yes, 100%. But uh, you can find my podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. It's called Get Real Movies, but it's spelled uh, G-E-T-R-E-E-L-M-O-V-I-E-S. So uh, real is uh, like a film reel rather than uh, getting real. But we do do that about movies. So, uh, yeah, definitely check that out. And uh, you can also find it at uh, GetRealMovies.com, uh, spelled the exact same way. And then you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at GetRealMovies. So uh, thank you for having me on your show. I had a great time talking about this movie. And uh, I'm always glad to uh, be watching uh, any movie, even if, uh, even if it's not as good as the original. It was still a fun time. So Cool. Don't forget to check out the Exploding Helicopter website for reviews of lots of other helicopter explosions in movies. We'll be back soon, but until then, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. You just killed a helicopter with a car. How's that, bullets? <laughs>